Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. I want to share with you just briefly here what's going on in the world. This is a state of the world report, not from an economic standpoint or a political standpoint, but from a spiritual standpoint. How many of you know that the gospel is penetrating almost every nation, every country in the world? Even some, what we would consider very restricted nations of the world. For example, North Korea uh, has been in the news a lot. We live very close to North Korea while we were in China. And I know personally individuals who go in and out, individuals that uh, have taken some of Brother Hagin's books. I know the believer's authority is in North Korea. I know that there's a great movement among Christians in North Korea, even though they are, some of them, severely persecuted, severely persecuted. And many of them uh, have lost their lives. And what you have to understand, in some countries, uh, the way that they control people is through fear, intimidation. If you escape the country, your family pays. And that's the problem in many nations. And so that's how they keep people contained is for fear of retribution against their family members. And so there's a lot of prayer taking place. The Chinese Christians in that part of China are very aggressive in prayer, very aggressive in evangelizing. Uh, And many times, I know when we have prayer meetings in China, the only way to stop people from praying is to start singing a song because they'll just keep praying. They are very intense. They are very passionate about the things of God. And I believe that's one reason that in the last 20-some years prior to this administration in uh, China, that there was an openness and a growth of the church and a certain level of prosperity coming to that nation because the church was praying for the leadership. Unfortunately, what happened was in the last few years, they became comfortable. They became more prosperous. And now they started buying things and one car, two cars. Now their children have to go to college. So now they became more devoted to working. Nothing wrong with that. But they spent more, most of their time working. We had less and less time uh, for people to come together in conferences and meetings to teach, to preach, to pray about specific things. And as a result, things begin to change. And so I believe that uh, they realize that. And now they're back uh, earnestly praying. Uh, and doing what the Lord wanted them to do in the first place. Prayer changes things. It changes things. And so God is doing tremendous things in the world. For example, Korea in 1900 had no churches. Today they have 7,000 in Seoul, Korea alone. If you drive through Seoul, which I have, at night all you see are illuminated crosses. It's awesome to see that. They have a small church there, about 750,000 members. When I was living in China, they had a prayer meeting outside in downtown Seoul. One million people showed up for that prayer meeting. Uh, South Korea is very aggressive in in evangelism. As a matter of fact, they're probably second to the United States in sending missionaries. They're very, very aggressive in spreading the gospel. So that nation is pivotal spiritually in that part of Asia. Uh, As I said, in China, 25,000 a day are coming to Jesus. We were in Vietnam uh, in March. Do we have any Vietnam veterans here? Any veterans? God bless you, sir. Thank you for your service. My brother was in Vietnam. 
I was in Hanoi. Uh, Billy Graham Evangelistic Association was there last year. 7,000 people came to the altar call in Hanoi. And so we're seeing God moving in a, in a major way in some of those areas in uh, Cambodia and Laos, in Thailand. In the last 20 years, more churches have been planted. More people are turning to Jesus than in the history of that nation. In Indonesia, which is the largest Muslim nation in the world, currently they're between 25 and 35% Christian. The highest percentage of Christian in any Southeast Asian nation. Tremendous things happening in Indonesia. I was just speaking to a friend of ours who is an Iranian pastor. He's a graduate also of the school that we attended. And he, he and his wife are on the phone every day in, 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 in Iran leading people to Jesus. And he's telling me there's a tremendous movement inside of Iran. The average age is under 30 and the majority of them want freedom. They want to experience freedom and they want to experience Christianity. So there's a tremendous move, more Christians in Iran today than in the history of the last thousand years of that nation. So South, uh, uh, South Africa, which at one point was very, uh, very limited in Christianity, today is 63% Christian. The continent of Africa is 43% Christian. By 2050, it will be 51% Christian, making it a Christian continent. In my lifetime, think about that, just about 20 years or so. In my lifetime, I've seen that continent go from what we called unreached to reached. As a matter of fact, today there are fewer, hardly any unreached people groups. There are fewer unreached people groups than reached people groups. We still have a large population of this planet, 7 billion, a large portion, 2 billion, that need to hear the gospel. But uh, evangelical, spirit-filled Christianity is growing at a rate faster than the world's population. 3.6% annually, the world's population, 1.6%. It is the fastest, largest growing spiritual movement in the world. There are over 600 million Pentecostals in the world, spirit-filled believers, and growing. South America has had a sustained revival for 30 years. This March, I think, or April, this spring, Africa, for the first time in the history of the church, the Christian population has surpassed South America. It is phenomenal what's happening in Africa. In Nigeria, for example, on Sunday, almost in the major cities, almost every store is closed because everyone's in church. Wouldn't that be wonderful? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So we don't hear all those statistics. I could talk about uh, Mongolia that never had a church uh, just as recently as about 30 years ago. Now they have 500 congregations at least, and they're sending out missionaries. I could talk about Uzbekistan and, and some of the other stands that have, they're very hard to penetrate. Now they have Kasha, Slovenia, in Albania, in Romania, and Bulgaria, and some of the other nations. A tremendous move of the Spirit of God, and churches are being planted everywhere. So God is moving. And God is not finished with this nation. Even though we have a lot of churches, we still have not penetrated every part, every city, every state, every county with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. This nation, and I've lived in five, my wife and I have lived in five nations. This is the greatest nation. Regardless of what you think, 
All you have to do is live somewhere else for a while. <laughs> you come back and walk into a super Walmart, it's like going to heaven. No one has super Walmart. China has super Walmart, but it's Chinese products. It's not U.S. products. When you walk into most developed nations of the world, you go into a store, they may have 10 or 20 cereal, you know, selections. You come to Walmart, you have like 200. You go down, you know, the, uh, you know, any, any aisle, and it's like so many items to choose from. You don't have that anywhere else in the world. This is a blessed nation for a reason. We are blessed because we still promote the majority of the missions work that is taking place globally. That's why we're blessed. So if you honor God, he said, I'll honor you. And so we are a blessed nation. I'm so uh, proud to be a part of this nation. And, and there's no nation in the world that's perfect, you understand, because nations are ruled by men and women, and many of them are not even born again. And they are controlled by the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. Shouldn't surprise us. And so we, there's no perfect nation, but thank God for this nation because we still have liberties and freedoms that the majority of nations no longer have, even developed nations. There are certain developed nations I lived in that you cannot preach the gospel on television. If you say anything on television that they monitor, you may end up in prison. These are developed nations. While we're in China, we couldn't have a meeting like this. We still can't. We have to close the windows, the doors. Usually we have to put insulation over the door, a mat over the door. We have to speak in conversational tones. We cannot sing out loud. We have a lot of freedoms that we take for granted. Amen. Let's not take them for granted. Let's take advantage of what we have. Hallelujah. So uh, we are advancing. God is advancing. He told Peter 2,000 years ago, he said, upon your confession of my lordship, he said, I will build what? My church. Thank God it's his church and not my church. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not keep the church out. And so God's kingdom is advancing globally around this world and we are a part of that. I want to share just briefly with you a few thoughts here from God's Word. If you'll turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. If I can leave one thought with you or truth with you today that will help you understand your purpose for existence, then I've accomplished my goal. If I can inspire you to begin to think about eternity and eternal purposes and what our life is meant to do and the eternal consequences of our life, then I've accomplished my goal. In 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, Paul speaking to Timothy said, For bodily exercise profits little, but godliness is profitable for all things. Everyone say all things. Now notice the all things. Having promise of the life that what? Now is and the life which is to come. Notice here Paul talks about 
two destinations, two homes. We could say two lives. We have really one life. We understand that. This life, this physical life that we're born into that we are all familiar with. We're born into a family. We live in this physical body. We come in contact with this physical world. We've been educated through this physical world, through our five physical senses. We are finite beings. We understand time. And so this world uh, is, is very familiar to us. But there's another world. It's the real world. It's the spiritual world. Sometimes we refer to it as heaven. So Paul said this life, godliness, the amplified version uses the word spiritual training. Spiritual training, spiritual growth will be profitable to you in this life and in the life which is to come. Now, how many of you know that when God created you, he did not just create you a physical body. Your physical body came from your, your physical parents, your mother and father. And sometimes, you know, the older we get, we begin to look in the mirror and we think, oh no, I'm beginning to look like one of my parents. God forbid. <laughs> What's happening? So physically, we have one nature. Jesus said to Nicodemus, he said, that which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of spirit is what? So Jesus is simply saying we have two natures. We have a natural, physical, fleshly nature, but we also have a spiritual nature. So what gives your body animation and life is what is living on the inside, your spirit. Your spirit comes from your heavenly father. As a matter of fact, the Bible calls him the father of spirits. And God has never created anything imperfect. He created your spirit. We focus on the outside, but God focuses on the inside because that's the real you. Now, we live in this world, and we have to operate through this body. If we cease to operate through this body, we'll no longer be in this world. We'll be in another world, a spiritual world, a spiritual dimension. But I want you to notice that spiritual training or godliness will profit you. It is to your advantage in this life and in the life which is to come. So just for a moment, I want to talk to you about eternity this morning. And the reason, the purpose for your existence. Actually, you were not created for this life only. You were not created to get up every day, go to work, come back home, have supper or dinner, whatever you call it here, watch TV, go to bed, get up, do the same thing over and over and over and over and over again. I know we have to pay bills. I have to pay bills. I know we have children to raise, grandchildren to raise. I know we have car payments, house payments, insurance, a lot of things we have to take care of. Jesus understood that. He understood that. As a matter of fact, that was a common uh, uh, thinking during that time and, and probably the greatest uh, cause of anxiety among people living during the time of Christ was the natural life, the natural world. That's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, Seek ye first all these things. Right? No. Seek ye first what? The kingdom of God, and then all these things will what? Be added. That's a difficult concept for us because we're born into this world, and this is all we know. And all we know to pay the bills and to keep things going is to be focused on this world. That's all we know. 
That's understandable. However, Jesus said there's another principle here. If we're heavenly-minded, kingdom-minded, then life changes. Our priorities change, our focus change changes, and the things that we need in this life come to us more easily. Many times we build our own kingdom and ask Jesus to bless it. Jesus said, no, try my kingdom. It's already blessed. And when you try my kingdom and focus on eternal realities, which is really why you were created, then things which become laborious, which, which creates anxiety and frustration, the harder you work, it just seems like you never get ahead sometimes. More problems, more difficulties, more challenges in life. That's this life. God says, I understand you live in this life, but there is a, an eternal perspective and focus. And when you discover what that is, then this life changes. And I'm able to help you and my power and my energy is able to supply things that you cannot in your own power and ability. Now, you say, well, you're a preacher. You should say those things. I wasn't always a preacher. I was raised on a farm. We were farmers. Then my dad started a, a business working on cars. So I worked on cars. I worked in factories. I worked on the railroad. I was on a section crew for a while. I've worked in construction. I haven't always worked as a preacher. So I know what it means to live and work in the world. I know that. However, I also know what it means to become heavenly minded, to have an eternal perspective, to change our focus and how that affected and impacted my life. We're all called to be preachers. All of us, you're all preachers. Preach means to proclaim or tell. And you do that in more than one way. I do that in more than one way, not just by speaking, but how I live my life. Like one man said, we, D.L. Moody said, we're the world's Bible. Some of us need revising. <laughs> you may be the only Bible some people ever read. You realize that? We impact people in greater ways than we can imagine. Now, look at Colossians chapter 1 with me quickly, or chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. And we're going to go quickly with this. <laughs> Paul said, if you then, verse 1 of chapter 3, if you then be risen with Christ, how many of you are believers risen with Christ? Seek those things which are located where? Where? So Paul talks about this life and the life which is to come. This life, this physical world, or the spiritual world, heaven, we'll use that term. Seek those things which are above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Look at verse 2. He goes on to say, Set your mind, the King James says, affection on things above, not on things of the earth. I like the ERV version that says, Think only about what is up there, not what is on the earth. Verse 1 in the ERV version says, So live for what is in heaven. Live your life for what is in heaven. Now, what does that mean? Live your life for what is in heaven. I believe what that means is let eternity be our primary focus. 
Let eternity be the motivating force in our life. Let eternity be the primary influence of our lives. That means this world is passing away, right? But there is a real world that you'll step into when this physical body ends. That's your real life. Eternity is what you were created for. That's a difficult concept. I'm going to try to explain it if I can have my rope up here. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm not a props guy, okay? But I'm using one because I like this uh, illustration. I saw another uh, minister use this, and I've given him credit already five or six times, so now it's my, my illustration. No, I'll give him credit again. It's Francis Chan. He, I, I saw him use this, and I just thought it was a great illustration. And it illustrates eternity in a way that we can grasp it. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. How many of you believe the Bible is inspired revelation from God? Now, many of our theological seminaries today are teaching the Bible contains God's words. <laughs> well, that changes things, right? Because then you can pick and choose which ones you want to follow. You know, everyone who goes to seminary, and I've gone to not only the training center that your pastor has, but also a university in, uh, uh, with a theology degree, they all teach you systematic theology. That simply means you study church fathers, you study, uh, you know, people who wrote uh, down through the centuries, first, second, third, fourth centuries, up to the 14th century, you know, profound things about God. Theology is the study of God. That's all it means. And then you pick and choose who you like. So that's why we have so many different views, so many different ideas. I, I, I'll never forget when I was in Thailand. Thailand is 99.97% Buddhist. Does anyone here understand Buddhism? All right, you'll understand this. In the Buddhist, Buddhism is really not a religion, it's a philosophy. It's become a religion, but it's a philosophy. And so in Buddhism, there's two main there's kind of two main uh, teachings or philosophies. But it centers around a core, core belief system produced by one particular man. And so uh, the, one of the Buddhist monks was speaking to me one day, and he said, you know, in Thailand, there's a, an organization that handles all the churches. We have over 250-some churches, organizations. He said, uh, don't you, he didn't say, don't you all, but I'm just <laughs> paraphrasing he said, don't you all uh, serve one God? Uh-huh. Why do you have 250 organizations? He said, we're Buddhists, we have one. Uh-huh. <clears throat> I said, Lord, help me. I said, well, you have to understand this. He said, uh, I said, we all serve the same God. I said, but man, many times what happens, it's man's human wisdom attempting to understand God and interpret God. And that's why we have all these different beliefs. There's only one Holy Spirit as far as I can determine, right? And he's called the teacher in the Bible. So if we all listened to the Holy Spirit, we'd have the same understanding of the Bible. Huh? Amen. But it's man's attempt to define God. It's natural human wisdom attempting 
to define God or explain God. That's why we have different views. No, you have to, you know, uh, receive God this way or you have to do these things in church or, or you know, uh, this or that my, based on my experience, not based on the Bible. So we take our experience and we interpret what the Bible says instead of allowing the Bible to interpret our experiences. <laughs> so uh, when I explained that to him, he understood. Now, so the Bible doesn't contain God's Word. It is the Word of God. It is God speaking to us. It is authoritative. It is infallible. It is inerrant, written without error, written without mistakes. It does not contradict itself. Now, notice here, 2 Peter 3, 8. So this is God speaking to us. This is not just Peter getting up someday after he had his cup of coffee and his morning bagel. Maybe I'll write this. I just feel, you know, emotionally inspired after I listen to this song. I'm going to write this. No. This is God using Peter to communicate God's thoughts directly to us, the church, the body of Christ. So this is God speaking. He said, but beloved, do not forget this one thing. A day that with the Lord, a day, one day with the Lord, that is one day, our time, because that's all we understand. God's trying to communicate eternal infinite ideas to a physical finite mind. One day, 24 hours in heaven is like a thousand years on the earth and a thousand years is like 24 hours in heaven. Now, I don't believe Peter wrote a mathematical equation for us to determine what eternity is like, but I believe this is inspired by the Holy Spirit to give us a little idea that this life is so insignificant compared to the real life. Now, if you're a math major, and, and in some churches I had a guy who was a master's in, in mathematics, and he gave me an answer in like five seconds. I can't do that. I didn't like math in school. That wasn't my major, all right? That's why I'm a preacher. So if 24 hours in heaven is like a 1,000 years, what's one hour in heaven equivalent to? Anyone know? Dun, 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 dun. Anyone know? No math majors. Okay. I Googled it. Now, you can't trust Google with everything. So I verified it with a calculator. Here it is. And I'll know, I know you want to know. So one hour in heaven is 41 years, six months, 23 days, one hour, 26 minutes, and 24 seconds on earth. So roughly 42 years. One minute in heaven is eight months, nine days, 20 hours, and nine minutes. So when people have an out-of-body out of experience or they go to heaven, come back, it just seems like, and they were gone just for a second or two, it seems like a long time. That's why. So let's say for sake of discussion, one hour in heaven is equivalent to 42 earth years. How many of you are at least, at least 40 years old? Let me see your hands. Several of you. Some of you don't, are not honest, but that's Okay. I know you're still confessing, I'm 25, I'm 25, I'm 25. You look in the mirror, I'm 25, I'm 25. 
Death and life is in the power of the tongue. I'm 25. I'm 25. <laughs> How many of you, anyone in here 80? Oh, you don't look 80. Wow, you don't look 80 at all. Really? You still don't look 80. <laughs> you look awesome. Anyone else? So we have one individual who's 80. So if you're 40 years of age, you've lived one hour in heaven. If you're 82 hours, if you are believing for 120 years, that's three hours. Here's the point. What would happen if your life was condensed to one hour, your, your physical life was condensed to one hour or two hours on this planet, and everything you did during those two hours determined your rewards in heaven, determined the eternal consequences of your actions on this planet, what would you focus on? What would be your priorities? What would be important to you? What would not be important to you? It would change things, wouldn't it? I have one hour, and then I'm going to heaven. And everything I do in that one hour will have eternal purpose, eternal significance, or eternal consequences. And I'm not talking about working your way to heaven. If you're born again, you're in the family of God. You're in the body of Christ. You're already heaven-bound if you're born again. However, we are saved unto good works. We are workers, Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, together with God. Amen. The only way God can function in this earth is through his spiritual body, the church. As a matter of fact, God is limited, John Wesley said, in doing anything for humanity unless someone God asks God to do it through the church. And that bears out in the scriptures. Jesus said, what you bind on earth is bound in heaven. What you loose on earth is loose in heaven. Notice it begins on earth, not in heaven. Nothing begins in heaven. The work that Jesus accomplished for the church is already finished, and he's seated, but he's ever, live, ever living to make intercession. He's still working. He's been praying for you and the church and the world for 2,000 years. Now, we are cooperating together. Jesus is the head. We're the body. Your, your physical head did not drive your car here. Your body did. Jesus is not working in the earth. His body is. The church is. So if anything gets accomplished in this earth, it's because the church cooperates with the head. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 9, when he saw the multitudes scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, he said the first thing he said to the disciples is pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest, that's God the Father, that God the Father would send forth labors. Why in the world would God need me to ask him to send labors into his harvest if he's in charge of everything? He's not. There's three kingdoms. Philippians chapter 2, verse 9. All you have to do is read it. Things in heaven, things on earth, things under the earth. Three worlds, three kingdoms. Heaven, earth, man's kingdom, Satan's kingdom. God is only sovereign in his kingdom. God cannot move and manifest himself in this world without permission. And that permission comes through the body of Christ by using the name of Jesus and praying according to the word of God and speaking the word of God, which allows God to work through his body, you. 
That's why he's still waiting. We're waiting on God. He's waiting on us. We're all waiting. That's why we're still here. No one's doing. We're just waiting. The Holy Spirit's not your doer. He's your helper. As a matter of fact, nothing will happen in your life. No power, no divine energy, no anointing will operate to you until you begin to do something. Then the Holy Spirit's power is active. He's waiting until you do, until you open your mouth, until you lay hands on the sick, until you go. Then the power comes. There will be no power, no feeling, no goosebumps until you do something. (laughs) That's why I go into all the world and what? Preach. He didn't say, oh, that's just for the five-fold ministry. Preach the gospel. That's everybody. These signs shall follow them that believe, not just the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. Every believer, every believer is a part of the body. Hallelujah. And God wants to flow through you for eternal purposes. So if your life was reduced to one hour, to two hours, to three hours. Now, let me illustrate it this way. Let's say this rope, and uh, you have to, you know, just be, uh, use your imagination, okay? Let's say this rope here is never-ending. It's eternal. So this white rope represents eternity. This is what you were created for. This is your life. This red-taped area. And this is what we do. Now, don't misunderstand me. I do the same thing. We say, you know, when we're like 16, 15, oh, I just can't wait to get 18. It takes forever to become 18. And 19 and then 21, oh, forever. And then, you know, then I can go to college, get out of college and maybe get, you know, maybe get married, have some kids, and then, you know, get to here and, and maybe we can take our first vacation or something. I don't know. Yeah, we get to here, we retire. And, oh, man. We can do this and we can do that. Nothing wrong with retirement. Nothing wrong with enjoying what God created. You understand me? So we focus on this. All our time, all our energy, all our effort, all our resources, and this is what you were created for. Eternity. Paul said in Ephesians that in the ages to come, that's this, God's going to show the exceeding riches of his kindness toward you. That means this life is just a blip on the line of eternity. Just a blip. And it's over. And we have eternity. Now, heaven's not a boring place. I used to think, you know, you're going to have a golden bed and lay around all day and play your golden harp and just boring. I was an outdoorsman, hunter, fisher, trapper. I didn't want to do that. Until I realized God's not boring. Heaven is like this planet, only perfect. Do you realize heaven has a city that's 1,200 miles cubed? Cubed. It would sit on the U.S., cover it. 1,200 miles wide, long and wide and high. And on the top is the mountain of God where God lives. God loves mountains and trees and rivers and oceans. He made them. Only it's perfect. No house cleaning. Hallelujah. Don't need one of those little robot things go around the house. Don't need that. There's no sun in heaven. That's the light of the Lamb. The light of Jesus lights, illuminates heaven. There's no shadows. It's perfect. 
God made the universe for what reason? Just so you could see stars at night? No. There's a reason. We don't know the reason. God has eternal purposes, eternal plans. He's ever expanding. He's ever growing and creative. And you are his child. And God saw you and chose you and decided to bring, he wanted you so much, he said, Jesus, to take your sin, to bring you into his kingdom so he could reveal his eternal plans and purposes. Not just so you have a boring life and go through a routine, a daily drudgery and never experience anything. No, there's so much more. But this is all we focus on. Hallelujah. All right, let's make it practical and I'm done. Blessed are the short-winded, they shall be heard again. <laughs> That's my beatitude. You know, Peter... Jesus said this in Matthew 6, 20, lay not up for yourselves what? Treasures where? On earth, but where? That means you can. That means you can, brother and sister. You can. Philippians chapter 4, Paul said, you guys blessed me, but I didn't desire the gift. I desired fruit that may abound to your account. You look up that word. You have a literal account in heaven. I don't know how that works. God does. The Bible talks a great deal about rewards. That's not the only motivating reason, but it's a good one. It's a good one. God's a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. God wants you to have everything in this life and in the life which is to come. I'm not talking about working your way to heaven. No, 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 no. He, God wants you to be blessed in heaven. Blessed in heaven. You say, well, being in heaven is a blessing enough. Yes, it is, but there's more. There's rewards. There's opportunities. There's position. If you read the Bible, it's amazing what God says about heaven. And he wants you to experience. Peter said, when I go to heaven, I want an abundant entrance. You can have an abundant entrance. Hallelujah. So Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. That means we can. That means we can. What do we lay up in heaven? Well, I'm going to liquidate all my assets, write a check, and swallow it before I die. No. You cannot take anything natural with you to heaven. Only spiritual consequences or reactions will produce spiritual blessings or rewards. People are the greatest commodity in heaven because they're spirit beings. Oh, what an advantage we have we have people around us every day, every day. We, don't, we know they don't know where they're going when they leave this life. We know, and we have the answer. I'll give you four things that you can practically apply in your life. Number one, just write these down. I'm not going to take time to look at them. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Every person who's a believer has received a supernatural gift or ability from God. Every single one of you in this room. Don't say, well, I don't know. I'm just, you know, a pew sitter, that's it, or a chair sitter, that's it. No. God has deposited within you a supernatural, not a talent, a supernatural gift or ability to be used in the body of Christ, in the kingdom of God, for the advancement of the kingdom. It's not going to mean you're going to be a missionary and he's going to send you around the world. It may be he wants to use you right where you are. God needs doctors and lawyers and teachers and mechanics and farmers and everyone. And he'll give you a gift that you can use to reach people. 
I know people who just have a natural gift working with children, working with young people. I have a friend who works with what we would call mentally challenged uh, children. And he goes into a room, they find him. They come to him, they run to him. That's supernatural, my brother and sister. God's put something on the inside that he wants you to use in conjunction with where you are right now that will give fulfillment to what you're doing now. God never takes away, he only adds. He'll add to what you're currently doing and life will change its purpose and meaning. Hallelujah. So use the gift, discover it. God sent you here to this church because he knows you're going to hear the word of God and you're going to learn to be led by the spirit of God so you can discover what God's put on the inside. Number two, in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 17 through 19, write that down, 1 Timothy 6, 17 through 19, Paul said, charge them, God said, charge them that are rich. Nothing wrong with being rich. He said, charge them that they be not high-minded. In other words, say, well, I did this, I, I'm the one who, who created all this wealth. No, it's God that gives you power to get whatever you have. It's God that gives you your life and your breath and your strength and your ability and your wisdom. He said that they use their wealth to do good. To do good. That means you can do natural things. You can use natural commodities to do good in this world that will produce spiritual dividends. Think about it. Think about it. Most people who are extremely wealthy, not saved... Only think about increasing their investment for themselves. No one else. We are blessed so that we can bless other people. You can never outgive God. It's not really about the amount at all. It's about the attitude. God said, it, God wants a generous, cheerful giver. It's not about the amount. It's about the attitude. If you are generous, you're, you're not concerned about the amount. <laughs> You'll be a giver. God says, give that person that. You say, well, it's mine. I worked for it. No, no, no. I gave it to you. Okay. I, I can get you another one. Huh? Well, I worked hard for that. Yeah, but I gave you your strength. Yeah, but it was me. No, no, no. It was me. Everything you own doesn't belong to you anyway. It belongs to God. That's what I like about the new covenant. People always talk about the tithe, the tithe. Well, that's old covenant. Okay. New covenant. God owns everything. Oh, let's go back to 10%. He owns it all. Right? I like to say old covenant, he asks one penny out of every 10 cents. New covenant, he asks for nine cents out of 10. No, I'm just joking. He, he owns it all. And he blesses you with it. We're caretakers, stewards of what God has given so use your wealth, use your resources to be a blessing. Listen to the Holy Spirit. There are people in need. Bless them. Bless the church. Bless the kingdom of God. He said there are eternal consequences when you do that. Use your righteous or your unrighteous mammon for righteous purposes. Instead of money mastering you, you master money. That's the answer. No man can serve two masters. The answer is simple. You be the master. You be the master. Don't let it control you. You control it. Amen. Number three, Mark chapter 16, verse 20. They went everywhere, the Bible said, Mark 16, 20. They went everywhere preaching the word, the Lord working with them, confirming the word with signs following. God wants to flow through you. 
He wants you to be a channel, a pipeline of blessing. Rivers of living water coming out. When you're in a position to bless someone, you'll experience the power of God, the goodness of God, the nature of God in your life. Be a doer, not just a hearer. Say, Lord, every day, every day, Lord, who can I bless today? You know, I do this on purpose. I fly a lot. I go to the airport, and usually people are not happy at the airport, especially when there's cancellations. And the poor men and women who work behind the counter, I have mercy on them. And I can tell. I'll walk up after someone, you know, had a bad day, and I'll just smile and say, hey, how are you doing today? Just a smile changes their whole countenance. A whole countenance. Amen. Use what God has given to you to be a blessing. Number four, 1 Timothy 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, 1 through 7, talks about praying. The greatest spiritual activity you can become involved with is prayer. The greatest spiritual activity. Pray for all men, not just those you like. All men, especially for leaders. Why? So that we might have a quiet and peaceable life. Do you realize when you pray according to God's word, it affects this natural world that we live in. It affects our society. It affects our economy. It affects the social environment, the economic environment, the political environment when we pray according to the word of God and being led by the Holy Spirit. We can change things. We can change things in our little world, in our families. Adam had authority over his garden, your life, your family's your garden. Take authority. Take authority. Don't let the devil control you. Don't let thoughts control you. Don't let emotions control you. You control them. Don't let the world system influence you. Like the man who got up, you know, his children, grandchildren wanted to play a joke on him. Anyone know Limburger cheese? It smells very, really bad. My, my mother liked to eat that all the time. <clears throat> smells really bad. So while he was asleep, the grandkids put some on his mustache. He got up. Wow, this room stinks. Whew. So he walked out of the bedroom into the living room. Wow, man, this room smells bad. Let me go to the kitchen. He walked into the kitchen. Same. Our attitude affects our outlook. That's why Paul said in Romans chapter 12, don't let the world conform you. Let the word transform you by its new ideals and its new attitude, the Amplified says. If you're not careful, you can listen to all the bad things going on and get a bad attitude. It affects everything. Don't let that happen. Let God's life, His love, His word, His spirit affect you. Transform you. Amen? So the world can see, yes, God's real. God is love. God is joy. God is peace. Amen? So here's our life. And this is your real life. What are you going to focus on? What are you going to focus on? Because this life, my brother and sister, and, and those of you who are a little bit more mature, I won't say old, but mature, know that life goes by quickly. Isn't that right? When I hit 50 a few years ago, I tried to find the break. 
and it didn't slow down. This life is so short. Our real life is forever. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithbaldosta.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.